0: UmGoBlue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UmGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: And today we're going to take a look at how Michigan's recent, unexpected, and yet welcome success on the gridiron has impacted the most recent recruiting class. You know what Coach Harbaugh has to say about recruiting. And nothing helps recruiting, by the way, better
1: than winning.
0: Clint, do you have any thoughts as you look at the class as a whole?
1: Yeah, starting from the top line, I think that it's it's really solid. I think Michigan did uh, a really great job. First of all, you know, this class was recruited most of the cycle through the, uh, through the pandemic without uh, the benefit of a lot of uh, in-person visits and in-home visits. A lot of this is kind of the Zoom, uh, you know, Zoom meeting class. So, trying to build relationships and kind of adjust on the fly through the, the craziness of 2020. Um, it's clear that Michigan did a pretty good job of establishing relationships and keeping contact with uh, with a lot of the high-end uh, prospects that they were targeting. And then, as the season Uh, rolled through and and success was building. And then especially really bringing in everybody, all of their top targets for the Ohio state game as the last official visit um, or or one of the last official visits before early signing day. Um, They really pulled out all the stops and and did everything they could to impress uh, those prospects. And then obviously the game went, uh, went as well as it could have for Michigan, almost a perfect, uh, perfect execution and, and a big win so um, I think that it, from the top line everybody should be very 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 uh, optimistic and, and satisfied with how this went I didn't go perfectly you didn't get every every kid that you that they wanted but uh, I don't think that that ever would be reasonable to expect so I, I think Michigan did a good job of reloading in positions of need got a lot of top end talent and and also um, a, a good number of kids that are going to enroll early uh, in a few weeks here and, and and get their feet on the ground and get ready for spring ball for next season.
0: So my thoughts, when I look at the position groups as a whole, it was interesting to me that you know one of the concerns that we had heading into this season was depth at defensive back, right? And this class was dominated by you know six defensive backs. So, that's interesting. It's also interesting. I think if there's anything, and and you know, and it's not done, right? This is the early class, um, but I think um, you know, you look at how successful um, Aiden Hutchinson has been in this defense, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of targets changed at uh, defensive end and defensive line. So I think if there's any surprise there, that um, I think I would have expected. Um, more recruits, you know, in, the, in those two position groups, but also again, those aren't done. When I look at the class, I think it's a nice balance. Um, you know, I, I look at the offensive line, and it looks like they have some talent coming in. My thought on offensive line is that generally, it's a position guys need to come in and and acclimate for a year. Um, you know, put on some weight, get into the get into the workout. So, not expecting to see these guys on the field next year. But you never know. I mean, we've seen that happen in the past where Michigan will have, you know, a top recruit who will come in and, and, and make a splash right away. So is there anybody in this class that stands out to you?
1: Yeah, there's a few, a few that I would say stand out. Um, starting with the offensive line, uh, since, you, since you had kind of mentioned it, uh, the one that stands out was a big flip, uh, Andrew Gentry from Colorado. He was uh, a part of the 2020 class, you know, two uh, or you know, almost two full cycles ago. He had committed uh, to Virginia, but he um, went on a Mormon mission, uh, which was all planned and expected. He had signed with Virginia, whose coach was uh, Bronco Mendenhall, formerly of BYU, who had a lot of experience managing Prospects coming in out of high school and then, and then attending a Mormon mission between high school and college. So, uh, when Bronco Mendenhall resigned from Virginia, there were a couple of interesting stories about how the, how the family of Andrew Gentry had to reach out to, uh, Coach Harbaugh and kind of reopen that, uh, recruitment process because Michigan was, was one of the, his top selections before he had chosen Virginia. So that, that's got a lot of, uh, interesting storylines that happened, and he was still on his Mormon mission when the decision had to be made. So Harbaugh had to ask uh, special permission from the church and the leadership at the church to even be able to have a conversation with uh, Andrew Gentry. So um, the other reason that I think it's notable outside of the, the interesting story is that he's you know he's going to be two years older than your normal incoming freshman, where most of these kids are going to be you know, 18 or, or maybe 19, he's, you know, he's 20 or 21 years old. So he's going to be a little bit more physically mature. Uh, he hasn't been playing football for the last two years. So he's got the same kind of uphill climb uh, of acclimating to the college game and, and getting into the workout process and, you know, getting his body up to speed. But I do think that uh, he is he's really a fascinating Story, but also he was a, a top prospect, a, a top 100 prospect nationally when he signed. So a lot of talent there uh, for Andrew Gentry, and, and I would expect him to make an impact uh, late in the 22 season, perhaps, um, depending on how he physically develops. But certainly uh, when this current offensive line has more turnover after the 22 season, he will be right there competing and will certainly be in the two deep. Um what else What else did you see uh, up on the offensive line, or is there a different uh, position group you want to, want to go to?
0: Well, another kind of an overview thing. Looking at the, um, I guess, demographics of this class, where they came from, Michigan recruited all across the country, right? And it's interesting because there's only one guy from Michigan and nobody from Ohio, and pretty much everywhere else. I mean, you know, as far as the class goes, you know, it was interesting to me that they were able to go down to Alabama and uh, pull a linebacker out because you know that uh, between Alabama and Auburn, it's hard to get any top recruits out of that state. So it's interesting to see, uh, you know, this linebacker recruit do Spurlock coming out. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's interesting the, the question I have And again, this is a stepping back from the program, right? When you hit one of the concerns that people have is that when you have guys who aren't real local, right? Like Michigan, Ohio, um, you wonder if they appreciate the rivalry. Obviously, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, that's a rivalry that resonates across the country. Um, You know, I think part of what Harbaugh is going to have to do and and Josh Gaddis and the entire staff is work on selecting guys that fit the culture and can appreciate the local rivalries, especially with Michigan state, you know, in the past, um, you know, during the, um, Mark D'Antonio era, when they, they had a fair amount of success, I had friends who were Michigan state backers. I do have a few of those and they would always have heartburn over the recruiting rankings. And I would always say, listen, don't worry about it. D'Antonio always finds the right guys for his system, right? And or often did, and you know, didn't not so much at the end, but for much of his tenure, right? So I think the question that I'm wondering about is that as Michigan has greater success and has access to even more top elite talent, it'll be interesting how they inspire and instill that culture moving forward. I think one of the things that has driven this current team to be successful this year was their struggles previously, was what happened in the COVID season. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, one thing that, that jumped out to me is that, you know, we had talked about when Harbaugh came in that perhaps Michigan would become quarterback U. And I don't think we've really seen that, or at least we haven't seen it in the way we expected, Right. Well, now here you have Cade McNamara, um, you have J.J. McCarthy, and here you still have, uh, you know, you also have other guys on the roster. Well, you have two quarterback recruits coming in. So they're not shying away from the competition, and perhaps we're seeing a little bit of um, Michigan being an attractor for quarterback talent. So it'll be interesting to see. Also, some of these guys bring different things to the field, so it'll be interesting. As Josh Gaddis has different things to play with, um, you know, in the offense, it'll be interesting to see how things change.
1: Yeah, the quarterback specifically, we're starting to see uh, Harbaugh is getting uh, kind of two different types of prospects. You know, similar how we've talked about the uh, the running backs all year, uh, having different uh, dynamics to their game. Harbaugh traditionally, or, or going back into his, his history, has liked having a, a traditional kind of pocket passer and also more of a uh, run-and-gun athlete, dual-threat type quarterback, um, even going back to when he was in the NFL and back to you know Stanford and, and San Diego. So um, this class is a perfect example uh, with the two quarterbacks that they signed. The, the more traditional pocket passer – is Jaden Denegal from California, you know, 6'4, 215 pounds, not, uh, kind of similar style to, to what Cade McNamara has. You know, he's going to throw from the pocket, not going to beat you with his legs, uh, as much. And then the other quarterback recruit is Alex Orgi from, um, Texas. He was actually a flip late in the cycle from Virginia Tech. Uh, as the coaching carousel kind of churned, and he is uh, a little bit shorter at six foot two, but he's two twenty six, so so athletic and 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 really put together to where the people are saying, well, you know, he's behind JJ McCarthy by a year. You would expect McCarthy to kind of hold on to the starters job for a, a year or two, and then if there's a, a turnover to a, a guy they're recruiting in twenty three out of Detroit King that uh this guy might switch positions and he might be one of those quarterback to tight end switches or or even linebacker and and sure maybe that's fine but when i when i've seen this kid alex orjai he reminds me uh the way that he throws the ball he reminds me uh physically of of joe milton he's not quite as tall um but he's similarly athletic and really has a, a cannon for an arm and the ball just jumps out of his hands so Another kind of pro style and dual threat combination coming in adds a lot of depth um, in terms of what style of quarterback you've got in the quarterback room because, you know, you're, you don't really know who you're going to, who, who's going to move on. I, I would expect that that quarterback room is going to look very similar to how it did this year. I don't know that any of those guys uh, have to move on given the, the extra year of COVID eligibility, so. Um, it's all gravy coming into the quarterback room from this class. And I think that there's some, some potential there, but you can take a, take a flyer there because you, you know that the, the real future is um, is J.J. McCarthy. So you can take some guys here that have uh, different skill sets or, or maybe even change positions at some point down the line.
0: One thing I wanted to, to touch on before uh, you know, we talk briefly about the defensive backs um, you know, the top recruit in the class was Will Johnson, um, you know, a guy from Gross Point South, five star. So, you know, if that's the only guy you're going to pull from Michigan um, to pull one of the top ranked players in the state in a position of need, you know, that's not exactly a bad way to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and he is really critical to this class, not just. Uh, Because he's in the state of Michigan, but he also took a leadership role similar to what JJ McCarthy did last year and and was kind of a player recruiter, right? He was the first one, the first big domino to fall in this class and to uh, commit verbally, uh, publicly, and nationally earlier in the cycle uh, so that, you know, everybody else saw that. All these other players and kids saw that and started talking to each other. About putting together a class to come to Michigan, and remember when he did that, it was in the uh, you know early winter time. I want to say it was from February of '21. Michigan was still in you know coming off the two and four season, and you and I were talking about Jim Harbaugh's contract extension slash pay cut, right? That it was really the the doldrums of winter, but also the the doldrums of michigan's last uh you know calendar year so when he committed it um was really the first positive anchor to to throw down not only for this recruiting class but it was the first positive piece of news for for michigan um in the calendar year of 21 and things really built from there so will johnson is really a critical piece to this class he is is really super talented. He he did a lot of different things for his team at Gross Point South. Uh, he played some receiver and played some quarterback. You know, whatever his team needed uh, over the last two seasons, he he played early all over the field because he wasn't challenged very often uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So, uh, really a critical piece there. He also is kind of a trendsetter in terms of NIL. I know his uh, his announcement party downtown, right uh, at a restaurant in Campus Martius, uh, drew a lot of attention. Um, was really well organized in terms of how he is handling NIL going forward, and I think uh, that example will also kind of resonate through the rest of this class and future Michigan classes. So, I I, I think that uh, Will Johnson is really going to be the face one of the faces of the program going forward almost immediately. I th- I certainly think that he has enough talent to play right away. He will be on the field uh, in game number one next year. The question is kind of where uh, he, he may, he certainly couldn't contribute on special teams right away, but I think he will be one of the 11 guys that goes out for the first uh, defensive snap of 22. So um, Will Johnson is really the leader of the whole class and, really a strong defensive back class also
0: yeah you know speaking of that you know one of the other top recruits another uh, you know will johnson was a five star but four star keon sob out of img academy and again guys who are out of img academy are generally very well coached and have a lot of talent um speaking to what he's going to bring to uh you know Michigan in the defensive backfield again another guy who could come in and have an immediate impact and it you know again when you look at this you and again from a from a the fifty thousand foot view right it's you have a guy like Will Johnson who as you said not only is helping recruit guys to the program but is kind of a template for this new era right this. Here's how you take advantage of NIL Mm -hmm. and here's the advantages that Michigan has as an elite program, not only on the field, not only running a defense that is patterned off of an NFL defense, not only having a defensive coach who's from the NFL, right? But here we have a pattern for how you can do things off the field. So I know, um, You and I talked about this. When NIL launched, it seemed like that I expected more from Michigan. I expected more of a complete package. And I think now, in retrospect, looking back, there are a lot of people, you know, trying to figure out the best way to do things, trying to um, make sure you don't step out of the rules, right? But now we're starting to see kind of the machine gearing up, right? We're seeing... um, you know, you're, you're seeing the players doing signings at MDEN. You're seeing um, the player merchandise become available. You're seeing – and I'll tell you, Clint, it wasn't lost on me. When we would go to the post-game press conferences, the players would be wearing the shirts that happened to be, uh, you know, kick a little bit of revenue back to them, right? So, again, I, I think that um, – and, and not just Michigan, obviously, but but in particular, Michigan is – set up to uh, really put together a complete package. And I think this recruiting class will be one of the first ones to enjoy those fruits throughout their entire time here. So I think we're seeing here's how it's starting. We're going to see it continue to evolve. And and I think it's going to be something really interesting for us to watch um, as, as these guys move through the pipeline.
1: Yeah. And, there's there's a lot of conversation right now. I, you and I have been talking about it for for nine or ten months, right? Kind of advocating for something like uh, nil nil opportunities for players, even before it happened. And uh, and now after it happened, we you know we discussed that it's kind of the wild west, and and let's check in again in a year, see what it looks like, right? And it's my, my favorite part of the current nil. Uh, business around the around the whole country is who is crying the loudest about all of the the potential problems that that are coming to college football with NIL opportunities for players and the transfer portal and, and the, the ability to transfer without having to sit out a year. And uh, some of the people that are complaining the loudest uh, about those opportunities, you know, they are not the small fish in the pond you know you've got you know uh, ryan day had some pretty interesting statements from ohio state davos Swinney from clemson uh lamented that it's chaos you know and and i i i really take a lot of uh enjoyment out of that because it seems more to me like a lot of their uh their tactics and and strategies of the past are now just the uh, status quo and they're not nearly the competitive advantage that they used to be for those programs. So they've got to kind of retool and figure out how they are, are going to go forward uh, on a more level playing field with, um, you know, big name programs like Michigan and and others that uh, weren't necessarily following funds to, to players and their families through, through other means. Now, now that there are ways for kids to get that piece out of the way and it, you're just focusing on where you actually want to go to school and play because, uh, you know, the money is taking care of itself. It's not not nearly the, uh, you know, the under the table or the uh, underground business and the stress that comes along with that. So I, I personally think that that's very uh, entertaining, you know, but it's still not uh, – we're still not sorted out, right? There's still – a lot that is going to change in the coming uh, weeks and months. Um, I, I, I noticed that uh, Tom Brady is launching an, an apparel brand and uh, just so happened to choose Michigan's quarterback, Cade McNamara, to be the face of his brand. So, you know, Michigan's got a pretty large alumni base, some very, very famous uh, folks with with some very deep pockets that uh, can set up these relationships. And I'm sure Michigan's pitch... Was much more about the long term and uh, the long game, as opposed to some other folks that ran out there and showed multi-million dollar deals for for certain players or uh, or, or other short term promises. I, I am sure that Michigan's presentation regarding NIL is much more long term based, and uh, I think I think that's a positive, and I think it also will be will stay a competitive advantage for Michigan because they are probably zigging while everybody else is zagging. Right. And I, I, think that it's a good thing and we'll see how, how it continues to develop.
0: So it's one thing, right? You have Tom Brady coming out with numerous business, business ventures, right? And first of all, he's Tom Brady. Second of all, he's a Michigan alum and, he has a number of businesses that are going to be looking to leverage these relationships, right? You know, and if, even if you look at the Jumpman brand, right? When Michigan uh, announced it several years ago, you know, you have Derek Jeter out there, okay? And again, he didn't play at Michigan, but he's really close to the program, has a lot of ties to the program. It's this kind of success that attracts recruits, that attracts players. And, you know, as far as what you're saying about, you know, some of these programs who um, rumor has it there, allegedly uh, may have uh, skirted the line of legality in the past. Right. So here's what's happening with the players, Clinton. This is why I'm so excited about NIL. You and I have been an advocate for, players getting more for a long time right what's happening now with the nil is you're seeing a transparency in the market okay where yeah maybe if you went somewhere a bag of money might show up to you and your relatives right in the sec oh wait did i say that yeah um now all the programs the recruits are sharing information oh well there's this this nil opportunity here There's this NIL opportunity here. And I'll tell you, some of the things that have surprised me is there have been a spattering of NIL announcements for even relatively minor programs, right? So what we're seeing is we're seeing this transparency in the marketplace of, hey, here's what you can do. What opportunities do do you feel familiar with? And that's only good for the players. That's much better. Than it was in the past, right? Even if you know this, you know there's there's this stereotype of you know a bag of money showing up for a top recruit, right? Well, the NIL stuff you can compare and contrast, okay? Oh, Michigan has this. Ohio State has this. Um, Michigan State has nothing. Uh, oh wait, I'm sorry. Michigan State has less, right? Um, but again, you're seeing these things where it's only going to be good, okay? It's only going to be better for the players, and you know. In all seriousness, you and I have talked about this that um, the players have been on the short end of the stick as coaches have made more and more, you know, huge million-dollar deals and have been able to move from program to program after recruiting guys. I mean, we saw what just happened down at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, you know, uh, with his his coaches out recruiting people and then literally hearing about him leaving the program after they just left recruits. Okay. Now with the transfer portal, players also have that ability to um, find a better situation. If things aren't working out, it's definitely good. It's changing the face of football. Okay. And again, changes is happening and change. Hopefully is going to be good for everybody. It's going to take some time getting used to, but, you know, to tie it back to recruiting here, this class is probably going to see the most change and have the uh, end up with the most opportunities by the, by the time they're through this cycle.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that sounds, it certainly sounds reasonable, you know, and that's, that's what it looks like as of right now. And the last piece that I would say in terms of how, NIL and recruiting and the rest of that is all tied together. It, it's a massive shift of leverage and power to the kids and the players and their families. And there are some folks that don't like that that shift. And, and you know what? That's that's okay. You know, not that everybody has to like it. There's a lot of money involved, and that, with that, is going to come some problems. Right, because you know, money tends to uh, to corrupt some people. There are going to be some bad actors. There are going to be some people that are that are trying to jump on the coattails and and make uh, make make a dollar for themselves as well. So, this is not all all sunshine and rainbows going forward. But it, it's also going to be a huge part of the uh, the education. You know, the the real life education for a lot of these kids, these high end. You know, large profile uh, recruits. You know, they're going to get a, a crash course in reality very early on, and um, hopefully, the uh, the institutions and and the, the adults that are involved with the football programs will be able to uh, to actually create a, an educational opportunity and help them not only leverage it in terms of dollars, but also help them learn how to uh, how to ad- advocate for themselves and, and understand. Uh, business and contracts and, and the decisions that they're making and th- they can make these decisions. And, and if they make mistakes, uh, it's early on in, in their, in their lifetime. And hopefully they, they grow and, and become uh, smarter for it going forward. So just like anything else, there are going to be problems. Like I said, I, I don't want to be Pollyannish, but uh, the shift of leverage Toward the players, in terms of dollars, and in terms of their own eligibility and ability to pick uh, a program and then and then transfer if they want, um, those are good things for players um, from a very high level. And it'll come with other problems, but the the people that are crying the loudest, in my opinion, are just uh, more upset that they've lost some of that leverage in, in the game. And you know, I I'm sad for them. But uh, this is the right thing to do.
0: I'm not so sad for most of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, again, there's going to be, there needs to be a shift. Okay. And, you know, there is the, I hope this has an overall positive impact on the game as a whole. Meaning that if players are starting to look at their finances and, and, sponsorship opportunities from the time they are a recruit all the way through their collegiate careers. Hopefully, you can see some better decisions made for the small percentage of guys or by the small percentage of guys who go on to the NFL, right? Because there are always, you know, the stories in uh, about guys who blow their signing bonuses and end up, you know, worse off than, than what they started. Right. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, and, and, and let's be clear, right. Um, you and I talk about this too. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important for these guys as they're in college to make the money they can, a very small percentage will go to the NFL. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, even the guys who go to the NFL, they say not for long, right? Like you always need to be planning for, What's going to happen when it ends? Because it will end. I mean, you know, except Tom Brady, it ends for everybody, right? It ends sooner (laughs) rather than later. So the question is, what can you do with that money you have, you know, investment-wise, opportunity-wise? And, you know, I'm really hoping that, again, a school like Michigan that has extensive networking and alumni can set up you know, some kind of education program, you know, and say, hey, or take this money, take a percentage, do this, set yourself up, right? Because, and I'll tell you, out you know, my age, right? I'm in my fifties. And luckily I got some really good advice when I was younger about investing, but I could have done a lot better, right? I could have done a lot better. Um, I'm not crying, but I could have done better. And, these guys are at the point in their life where if you take some of that money and make some smart decisions, it can have a huge impact, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. So, again, I think it's a it's a great opportunity. I'm excited to see it because so few of these guys go to the NFL and really got to ch- get a chance to really cash in on those contracts that we're seeing. uh a dispersal a disbursement of funds across the entire supply chain for football, right? And again, it's a good thing. It's going to be really interesting to watch. We're going to have a lot to talk about. And um you know, again, I think, you know, being biased toward the University of Michigan, the greatest university in the world, that this is another advantage that Michigan can leverage to uh to recruit guys. So kind of bringing it back more to the, the point in this class, Um, is there anyone, you know, we talked about guys who you expect to see who might have an opportunity to play right away. Um, Are there any guys that you see having immediate impact either because of their talent or because of people leaving the program or graduating?
1: Uh, Yeah, there's a couple and and I'll start first with who I, you know, we're looking at the, the crystal ball here. I would expect that Daxton Hill is now three years out of high school and is likely right now he's kind of getting lined up as a second-round draft pick. Uh, I would not be shy. I would expect Dax Hill to declare for the NFL draft after Michigan plays their, their playoff game or games, right? So um, if he were to stay – I would be a little bit surprised and certainly pleasantly surprised. I hope he does stay from a Michigan perspective, but I I expect him to enter the draft. So he and Aiden Hutchinson, of course, we've talked about from from early in the season being uh, chess pieces or, or, or guys that the whole defense is really built around, not as like a centerpiece and then building outward, but more so how do you use those guys, Aiden Hutchinson and Dax Hill to attack the offense? And um, Mike McDonald really totally overhauled the defense, not only schematically, but just in that philosophy of using the, the most talented unique personnel that you have to attack the offense and make them account for, for those guys. So with Daxton Hill, I think, moving on, there isn't really anybody else on the current depth chart behind him that has the same skill set, in my opinion, in terms of getting up near the line of scrimmage and in the box and making plays by uh, tackling on the edge, right? A lot of those uh, wide receiver bubble screens and, and and then also the ability to cover one-on-one against guys in the slot, Um I, th- I think that we've been fortunate that Dex Hill stayed healthy because I don't know that there's anybody on the current roster that could have filled that spot. There are some recruits that uh, came with this this class of defensive backs that I think do uh, kind of fit into that spot. And, and the first one would be Zeke Berry from California. I think he uh, he's got a similar kind of edge tackling, but also a really, really great – uh, ability to cover uh, guys, and then wh- another one that you mentioned is Keon Sab um, from Florida, who uh, was at IMG. Um, he is is also an interesting prospect because he was committed very very late in the cycle to Clemson, and he was was just fine going to Clemson until their defensive coordinator jumped and went and, and took the the head coaching job at Oklahoma. Venables. So, when he reopened his recruiting um, profile, he uh, he and his dad came up for the Ohio State gate, and uh, the language that was used about about him as a particular recruit was more. It got real. Right there was some smoke that that eh, he's going to just finish out his visits. But then the defensive coordinator from Clemson moves on. And all of a sudden, the, the conversation is much more real about him coming here. And he is the kind of guy playing at IMG Academy in Florida, who's played against very high-end talent. Right? He is going to be very well prepared to to potentially come in and compete right away. And he's also going to be an, an early enrollee. So Zeke Berry and Keon Sab, in my opinion, both have the ability, the the type of skill set to to slide in and be a a weapon similar to how uh, Daxton Hill was used this year. Now, they're they freshmen coming in. Daxton Hill is a third year player, right? So I'm not saying that it's interchangeable. I, I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't say that. And and perhaps there's somebody that's on the current roster, you know, um, that also steps into that role. But I think in terms of skill set, you've got some guys coming in that that makes sense in terms of putting them into those spots and seeing what they can do as you get into spring ball. The other big one, uh, I think moving on or moving to fill holes on the depth chart <clears> or <throat> um, is, um, Josh Ross and inside linebacker just being, uh, I don't. Somebody else is going to have to step up from a leadership perspective, right? Locker room communication, making the calls, that kind of things. But in terms of just being a real physical presence in the middle of the defense, attacking those inside gaps, really being a thumper, taking on blocks, making those those big tackles at the line of scrimmage, there are guys coming in from this recruiting class that fit that type of mold. Um, the first one is Jimmy Rolder. Uh, linebacker from Illinois, he um, is really um, physically probably the most ready to play linebacker at the college level. He's 6'2", 230 pounds. Um, he played in the same conference as JJ uh, McCarthy did uh, before JJ McCarthy had moved on to IMG. So, so there's a, there was a connection there. I'm sure I'm sure that there was. Uh, some communication between JJ McCarthy and, and Jimmy Rolder. But he physically I think is is the most ready to jump in and uh, contribute. Uh, you know, Junior Colson this year was a freshman All-American at linebacker as a as a true freshman. I think um, Jimmy Rolder could could potentially jump in and be a, a contributor. And another guy who is creating a lot of buzz and, and certainly a name to remember because he's going to contribute somewhere, is Deuce Spurlock, somebody you already mentioned. Because uh, coming from Alabama, we don't get a lot of recruits from the state of Alabama. But this guy, Deuce Spurlock, number one, earned his offer from Michigan at Michigan's camp. So he came in to uh, Michigan's camp in the offseason where the coaches are, are kind of evaluating guys. And was really a a no-name guy. Nobody really knew who this guy was. And he totally took over this camp with with his performance to the point that everybody was like, Hey, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that? What's what's going on? All of these other guys that had already made a name for themselves were kind of getting uh, upstaged by by Deuce Spurlock. And then he backed that up with a, a senior season where all he did was go and, and rack up 186 tackles uh, in, in a season. You know, that's, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 tackles per game, depending on how they how far they went into the playoffs. So not only do you have uh, kind of eye-popping talent that, that earned him the offer in the offseason last cycle, but also production where he went out and, and, and led his team and really has a nose for the football and clearly um, – he's going to be on the field, um, certainly on special teams. We know that Michigan likes to put guys like that on all their special teams units, You need great tacklers out there in your coverage units, but he's another guy that certainly may be capable uh, of getting into that inside linebacker role as, as Josh Ross moves on. And then the last bit that I would say, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, probably David Ojabo, Moving on to the draft, with, uh, with the draft grades that they're getting, certainly Aiden Hutchinson's going to be one of the first or, or second pick um, this year. Ojabo is is kind of in that same role as Daxton Hill. He's getting high grades. I expect him to move on, but uh, from a Michigan perspective, would be elated if he stayed. I don't know that there are freshman guys that are going to step in uh, at the defensive line spot, those edge rushers. But I do think that Michigan's current depth chart and the way they rotated this year um, will be okay. We'll be okay there. I think we're going um, to need to develop some other high-end playmakers to try to pick up the production that Aiden Hutchinson had. But you're not going to have a, a plug-and-play Heisman candidate coming in at the defensive end edge rusher spot to, to really – fill in what Aiden Hutchinson is leaving. So it's going to have to come from scheme, X's and O's, and then also development of uh, some other guys on the, on the roster and uh, figuring out another way to leverage the, the high talent level of, of guys that are already on the roster and some of these recruits. So I don't know that there's a defensive end guy coming in Um, that you would slot into the same spot as those edge rushers now, but it's not. I don't know that it's necessary. I think those guys can develop, and how you mentioned with the offensive linemen and uh, the guys that are already on the roster and on the two deep um, are going to have to take that next step and and really take a leap forward and and develop some more playmaking ability on the edges. So that's what I see in terms of uh, immediate um, production next year. All of these guys are certainly talented enough to contribute on special teams. Uh, I think uh, Zeke Berry also returned punts um, in California. So he, he may, he may uh, contribute in the return game also, but, but we'll see. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to watch the, the linebackers, especially, like I said, Deuce Spurlock, that guy, you're, he's going to, he's going to have his name called a few times in the big house next year.
0: So the other interesting thing is, you know, I'm anticipating there will be some surprises in the transfer portal, right? So between guys graduating between the transfer portal, you're seeing a, a quicker churn, which provides opportunities for guys. So I think that's one of the exciting things about recruiting is, you know, you just don't know, right. You don't know who's going to surprise. And um, again, you know, we've had a pleasant surprise with this season And, you know, you mentioned Josh Ross leaving and the impact he had on this team. That's what I was getting at with the culture, right? That, okay, who's going to step up next man up, right? And it's going to be opportunities for players who've been on this team for a while, been around the program. It's also going to be immediate opportunities for these guys coming in. I think um, it's an exciting time to be a Michigan Wolverine football fan You know, we still have important games this year, or I should say this season. It's nice to uh, be talking about that with the college football playoffs looming. Um, We also had um, the team awards. So, Clint, um, it's interesting because the program has been changing how they do their end-of-year awards. You know, also impacted by covid I don't think it comes as a surprise that the, uh, the MVP of the team was Aiden Hutchinson. Um, so the question I have for you, okay, obviously, okay. I think it's obvious that Aiden Hutchinson was the MVP. Um, who do you think would have been the alternate?
1: Yeah. use the same answer. I did it after the sixth game when we did our halfway through the season show, right? Aiden Hutchinson is clear. Clear choice, but Hassan Haskins, you know, figuratively put the team on his back so many times, and really embodied the the personality and the culture change, um, and a guy who did it without fail over the last two or three seasons. You know, that guy just was so reliable in terms of always giving one hundred and ten percent effort, always falling forward for two extra yards always always showing you know the the fight and and the physical uh toughness that that i think jim harbaugh wants his program to uh to really display so hassan haskins um had a really great productive year and he's been very productive over the last three seasons but honestly if if we didn't have a a Heisman candidate defensive end and and a kind of a historic season from Aiden Hutchinson, Hassan Haskins far and away is the MVP of this team. Um, so to have two real shining examples of of what it is to be a, a most valuable player on the field and, and off the field, uh, Hassan Haskins certainly, um, deserves all of the praise that he gets down the list of the awards. Uh, he's kind of the, uh, The the second team MVP, (laughs) you know, and even Harbaugh in a lot of different media availability said as much said, man, you know, you got to look at Aiden Hutchinson and Hassan Haskins as as being the most valuable guys. So I I, we said that six or seven or eight weeks ago, whatever it was after the Nebraska game. I remember this conversation and uh, it's no problem for me to hang on to that same statement. I think Hassan Haskins is absolutely the most valuable guy Not named Aiden Hutchinson.
0: And he was definitely recognized by the team. He won the Toughest Player Award, and he won Offensive Player of the Year. But the thing about Hassan, and again, going back to our previous conversation, there are things that you see when you're following the program closely, right? And, okay, so early in the season, Blake Corum is just a machine at running back, right? And, you know, we said, you know, thunder and lightning, but, you know, lightning gets a little more a little more love, right? I mean Blake was the I remember saying, you know, early in the season, man, the way Blake Coram is running, he might be a Heisman candidate, right? And Hassan did his part. You know, there was there was no you didn't sense any jealousy. You didn't sense any um you know, again, Hassan's the guy who's been putting the work in for the last couple years, and he was fine to be, you know, I, I, was, I was describing him as Batman and Robin, right? They're a team, right? And sometimes one takes the lead, and sometimes the other takes the lead, right? So what was amazing to me is that Hassan was such a team guy, and when Blake was kind of in the spotlight a little bit more, he was okay. He did his part. You know, there was no grumbling. There was no issues. And then when Blake got dinged up, Hassan stepped up. And and literally, you know, there was a, there's a quote, um, you know, we're going to have a, uh, a season overview sh- podcast where we pull the quotes and you hear the season as the players told it at the time, right? And there's a great quote from Hassan who says, man, just give me the ball. I'll run it. I'll run it as many times as you want, right? And he really picked up that load toward the end of the season. And then when Blake came back, man, they were unbelievable, right? But, you know, you you talk a lot about guys who buy into the team concept, guys who, you know, those who stay, right? And you look at this team and they really embodied that and it's easy to say oh because they won the big 10 championship well no they won the big 10 championship because of that because of that because of uh jj mccarthy running down the field and blocking because jj mccarthy only getting you know a few snaps per game and sometimes not playing at all and there be no grumbling there. Everybody does their part. Everybody gets their opportunity. So, um, and again, not to dismiss Aiden Hutchinson. Okay. Aiden Hutchinson is a beast. He has risen to a whole different level of, of, uh, performance and celebrity, right? Great guy deserves every minute, every bit of the accolades he gets and super excited. He's going to be a top draft pick. um, says all the right things is is great right has been a joy to cover but you you have a guy like Hassan Hoskins who's just doing his thing too right and it it's good to see um you know another point we talked about Josh Ross he got uh the linebacker award so it was uh good to see that and again well deserved I I don't think I don't even know who I would have an alternate for that. It's Josh Ross and Josh Ross and not to dismiss the the work that other guys did. But you get what I'm saying? Like, like there are some players who are so big at their positions. Like you talk about, um, if Dax Hill had been injured, I don't know what we would have done if Josh Ross had missed a significant amount of time. Like if he had yeah. gone down for a couple games, um, I think he's one of those quiet leaders who just got it done. Just got it done. Game in and game out.
1: Well, we saw we saw his impact and his value uh in the Rutgers game. Remember he got that stinger and was out in the second half and Michigan struggled to stop the the that inverted veer that Rutgers was running because they were they were putting uh the option on the linebackers. They knew, you know, that, that we were without our, our leader in the middle of that defense, and they attacked it. Um, and eventually those guys stepped up and made the, the biggest plays that they needed to. So, you know, Junior Colson and Nakai Hill Green are, are going to be fine, fine players, great players. But early in the season, in that Rutgers game, they were still developing and still learning, and it was clear um, that Josh Ross's value as a player was, was huge but even more so the the leadership that he had and his ability mentally to understand what he was looking at and how to attack the offense and get other guys into the right spots. Um, he is the guy that we really tangibly felt his value in a game in, in the second half of that Rutgers game. Um, You know, again, Hutchinson and, and Haskins super valuable and, and who I would call the most valuable players, but Josh Ross is, is right there in that conversation. And I think, The way that Harbaugh calls um, some of a group of the the seniors that you know those who stay guys the the ones the ones that really were the core and the foundation upon what this team was built. Josh Ross is absolutely one of those pillars and deserves that linebacker award for sure because he um, was given a lot uh, in terms of scheme and in terms of responsibility. Because uh, it, it helped to free up those other guys that are younger to, uh, to have to make less decisions and, and, and rely less on their their uh, reading ability and, and play reading ability and just see ball and get ball. Josh Ross was doing a lot of the, the hard work of being a linebacker and, and absolutely deserves that award. Uh, like you said, I, I don't know that there's, there's no way that that could go to anybody else. He was the guy in the middle of the defense made it all work
0: he also received the uh the ufer request for the most spirited player him along with brad robbins you know again huge pieces to this puzzle work still to do but it's good to see these guys recognize uh also uh mozzie smith being recognized for outstanding play the uh Richard Catcher Award, um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, that award is given to the best defensive lineman or outside linebacker, right? So Mozzie's one of these guys who quietly had a really good season, okay? And I think when you have a guy like Aiden kind of eclipsing the sun, right, <laughs> just amazing, some of the players, uh, and, and I'd say Josh and, and Mozzie both, right, were kind of in that shadow but they also had an amazing year and um you know huge pieces to to the success that this team had um and then andrew stuber got the outstanding offensive lineman and you know nothing against uh stuber but the offensive line was so good this year i that could have been a group award okay and um, he truly was outstanding, but there were a lot of good guys on the offensive line. Um, so especially, you know, we have a feature where I go back and, um, you know, do play diagrams and break down plays. And I'm really, I've been really impressed with the, with the mobility and the toughness of this offensive line, you know, heading into this season, um, they told us there was going to be a lot of guys coming in and out and, and, sometimes you kind of roll your eyes and go okay that means you know if you got six or seven or eight guys you're going to be rotating in that means you don't necessarily have a top five well they did they had guys who could come in and i'm breaking down plays i'm like oh the line shifted again and and they were successful so again um congratulations to andrew stuber and and really congratulations to the whole i I would give the whole offensive line an award this year but you know, I'm I'm partial to offensive linemen. So um so um Clint looking at the awards, is there anybody that you'd like to um call out um from the from the other awards? There you know, there there are Legion. Is there anybody else? Um you know, you, you mentioned Dax Hill, is there anybody else you'd like to give a shout out to?
1: Yeah, I think Especially as we kind of come down the home stretch of this season, thinking about next season, right? And I'm not advocating to you know to move on prematurely, but just in the long term view, looking at the rookie of the year awards for offense and defense, the future is bright. I mean, rookie of the year on offense, a three way <laughs> three way tie, or they, they awarded three players: J.J. McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, Andrel Anthony, all coming back. Right. Those guys all had absolutely huge moments this season and contributed to this team in in secondary roles where they're not even the the, the star of the show yet. Well, right. Clint, and, let, let,
0: let me stop you right there. OK, imagine, OK, you're creating a offensive unit and you have those three guys on it. Those are your rookies. Oh, my gosh. And, and I'm sorry, you said the future bright. The future is bright. I mean, it, it's amazing. I had to go back and check. I'm like, rookies? Oh, yeah, they are. Um, and, again, just, just amazing stuff. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and those are, you know, not just first-year contributors, you know, not redshirt freshmen, true freshmen. At this time last year, we were playing high school football. So just a, a, I think those are, are notable uh, on defense. Uh, Junior Colson, who I, who I mentioned at linebacker, and Rod Moore at safety, another true freshman. These guys were playing high school football last year and came in and were huge contributors. Rod Moore uh, got a significant amount of playing time against Washington in the second half. And I remember being like, man, it's early in the season for a true freshman to be jumping in there and getting significant snaps in a big non-conference game right in September. And uh, not only did he make an early impact, to where we kind of took note of it, but he kept climbing, kept improving to the point that he was starting at home against Ohio state in the 12th game of the year. So Rod Moore, junior Colson are going to be absolute mainstays going forward on the defense. And those guys are likely where you're going to look. If you're uh, Mike McDonald and you're trying to to design next year's defense and where are you going to get the big playmaking ability? Uh, you don't have to look too far past, you know, a, a true freshman linebacker, freshman All-American Junior Colson, and, and Rod Moore, um, who who climbed into a, a defensive backfield with uh, a fifth- or sixth-year senior in Brad Hawkins and a guy that had started in front of him uh, for most of the season in, in R.J. Moton and a guy who had starter snaps last year in Page. And, and Rod Moore came in and, and climbed his way to the top of that depth chart. And you really have to be excited for what, what can come with him. And then he's also the rook of the year on special teams, you know, for him to be contributing on all of those additional special teams units, which we've mentioned a few times is, is either first or second or third, depending on which metrics you use uh, one of the best special teams units in the entire country. So the youth that is already uh, contributing to this team really highlights what, what should be a lot of firepower coming back um, for next season. And and there's no, certainly no reason that this team can't uh, build on the success of this season, keep it rolling through the, the playoff games here, competing for a national title and, and then get right into trying to rebuild the same type of leadership and, 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 Bond between the players because the talent that's coming back is there's no drop off. So, the, the standard going into the 22 season certainly is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be off the charts, right? This year was, you know, nobody believed in us and, and, you know, a little bit of low expectations from the fan base and the national media. That is not going to be the case going into next year. So these guys are going to have to have a different type of mentality, and uh, and, and have a different style of leadership because now you you can't start to uh, to let your head get too big, right? They've got to maintain that that solid work ethic and, and stay together going forward. So those are the ones that stand out to me. I think uh, Eric All and the development. Especially catching the ball, being sure-handed this season, really being a leader in terms of blocking as a tight end, you know, all over the field. Again, I mentioned it a a few different games on Twitter that if you want to know where Michigan's trying to run the ball, follow the tight ends. Look at eighty-three Eric All, look at eighty-six Luke Schoonmaker, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna go to the point of attack because of how well they're blocking. And then in that same Breath, I would say, Mike Sainristill has been one of my favorite people to watch away from the ball. Mike Sainristill may very well be the smallest <laughs> wide receiver that we have. That it's a significant number of snaps, but he is absolutely tenacious on the perimeter. The way that he blocks, he is always tangled up with somebody. Um, had some really key blocks, um, cut blocks, and other different types of perimeter blocks on big plays. And that play that you mentioned, where JJ McCarthy sprints out uh, in front of Blake Corum against Iowa in the Big Ten title game, uh, if anybody wants to, to watch another entertaining part of that game, watch Mike Sainristill, who's the other guy running with uh, Blake Corum, because he actually he absolutely steamrolls one of the defensive backs for Iowa, and uh, it, it's it's fun to watch this this small guy. Uh, it's like it's like Mighty Mouse, you know. He just it's he, he goes into the collision, and you expect, you know, I hope he can hold his own. And he he steamrolls guys like uh, like Hassan Haskins does. He's he is a fun to watch on the edge, and and made some some big plays and highlight catches as well. So those are the the guys that stand out to me.
0: So the things that jump out to me is the Blue Collar Award, Andrew Vastardis again, offensive lineman. And, you know, something that doesn't always come through, you know, just a guy who loves Michigan, okay? And in the uh, post-Big Ten Championship press conference, just said, you know what, it was always Michigan for me. I always wanted to come here. And, you know, it's a guy who is successful academically, successful off the field, well-spoken, and just really embodies the teamwork of the offensive line and clint you and i are both alums okay and you know i I always like to let people know that because it it means something different for me like when you talk to guys and you're like wow this guy is awesome this is a great representative not only of the football team but of the university i'm proud that this guy is an alum and andrew vastardus is one of those guys you talk to him and he's just just Really well spoken, you know. Says all the right things, and and it really just resonates how much he loves being a part of this team, and how much how proud he is that um, all the work that they put in has has borne fruit. A couple other things I wanted to point out: you you got Eric all. I wanted to mention that because uh, again, um, one of the other plays we broke down was I. You know, when this season is over, you and I will talk about key plays in the season right and I will tell you my key play in the season is his touchdown versus Penn State you know we broke that down in the playbook Um, actually one of the things I really cool in the playbook having one of the cool things I really like in the in the playbook feature is I actually have um, him describing the play right along with the play diagram and what was really cool is He says that a couple, a little bit before that play, Penn State was actually talking crap to him about how he was hurt and they didn't expect anything from him. So it's that kind of thing. You like to see a guy succeed. Um, Most improved player defense, David Ajabo and DJ Turner. And nothing against DJ Turner, but David Ajabo just ascended. Okay. I did not expect anything like what we saw from him this season Really happy for him. Again, really happy for us following a team. But um, that one jumps out to me. Specialist of the year, of course, Jake Moody. That's another one. He was incredibly consistent and just just got the job done. And, you know, most improved player on offense, Cade McNamara and Luke Schoenmacher, right? So, Cade, you know, we, we if you look at, you know, I've talked about this in previous podcasts. The amount of grief that Cade took from fans and media at the, throughout this season, and to ascend and lead this team to the level that it has risen to, um, you, you really have to give Cade credit. Definitely um, kept a level head, and uh, um, you know, I, I, quarterbacks aren't always my favorite people. Um, I say sarcastically. Uh, I I he has my he has my respect. He put the work in, and he's definitely led this team. So, hats off.
1: Yeah, I, there's there's a reason that they had so had to list so many guys, right? And it's it's uh, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of positive examples of what you really want to see from from your football team, guys that that did the right things on the field, and also. Uh, led the right way, um, and, and the future's bright. And still work to do this season. It's all all a lot of optimism. And this is, you know, winning cures all ills. And I think uh, this season is a good example of that. But but also I think this group of players and this coaching staff really did uh, just an outstanding job of getting in there and curing their own ills in the off season and really taking a hard look at what needed to change and then made those changes. And that's, uh, they really earned all of the, uh, the accolades and the positivity that's floating around. And, and I certainly hope of course, you know, our, our next podcast or or a few podcasts will be more focused on the games that are coming up here. Certainly uh, no reason to believe that, uh, you know, that, the, this won't keep uh, keep rolling forward you know and one interesting thing that I heard from from the national media is that if they didn't have the long breakthrough December here, it'd be hard to pick against Michigan you know after that Ohio State game and then really beating down uh, Iowa, I don't know that any team wanted to play Michigan you know two or three weeks ago. so hopefully you know these guys have have turned their focus uh, as they've done all year and, and the leaders, really are looking to put the icing on the cake now and and really try to become an all-time great uh, team, not only in in Michigan history, but but really leave quite a stamp on the the national landscape and and go compete for a national title.
0: You know, it's funny that you say that about uh, the national thought on who um, who would be the hot team coming in. You know, I was thinking, in a perfect world, Michigan would have had, like, two weeks off, right? A week to kind of rest up and then a week to prepare because they were a machine. And, again, looking forward to what they can do. And, uh, you know, again, it it feels great to say that here at uh, towards the end of December, there's a lot of football left to play. We have not been able to say that in a while. So... Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.